Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, Peter. How's it going? I am back. You are back. We are here. Uh, it is good. Yeah, I'm just super excited. I finally got into a wilderness first aid course, so I've been outside practicing scenarios with a dummy and scaring people. We tried not to scare people, but I think it, it happens when you're rolling dummies and tarps and stuff and carrying them around while wearing COVID masks. Uh, but it was good. Finally, got it. this is like a 10-year goal, I would say, that I've wanted to get this done. It's, it's a big time investment, right, as far as getting out there. And it's it's sort of awkward, right? Like, first aid's never, unless you're into first aid, there's probably some people listening that are really into it. But it was actually pretty fun. Well, and your instructor really got into some of the scenarios. Well, I think that's what you want, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think you're you're there. Like, the reason you're taking wilderness first aid is, A, it's way better than sitting in a classroom and, like, pretending like you're doing CPR. But, um you know, this is outdoors. So like the whole day was outdoors, you know, so you're talking about the, you know, weather and, you know, how they changes things and how far you are away from help. Right. And so I think as a, a mountain bike coach and someone who does guiding and, you know, we do these big hikes and stuff, we're talking about this is a element that I think is like a known risk for a lot of us. Right. And I think you can be, uh, and I'm certainly, we've been, you sort of just hope for the best and plan, you know, to try and avoid it. And that's the biggest defense, but you're trying to just practice right like coming around the one was we came around the corner and he was like upside down in the forest and you know it was the the one time he had like a head injury spinal thing that we were sort of just were dealing with you know how are you going to get help how are you going to stabilize the person and the other one was he actually got like a stick through his his body full like reenactment with blood like it was pretty sweet um so again what are you gonna do that just that makes it so much better next level yes yes highly recommended for sure Mm um yeah Nice, nice. Uh, what else are we doing? Well, I'm actually really excited that we're bringing back our Friday morning yoga for consummate athlete coaching clients. Yes, uh, this we... is a sneaky way that we end up doing movement and everyone plays along. So yeah, it went really well. So I'm excited to bring that back for coaching clients. It's sort of a good chance to check in every week. Yeah, it was actually really cool. We started doing it in July and to have, you know, 10, 15 people show up on Zoom in the morning to, to do morning movement. Uh, it's it's just really neat. Um, and actually, I, I filmed a video yesterday, uh, another morning yoga routine, but that one is actually going over on the Valley Om, uh, which is, uh, we have their co-founder, Sue Amato, on the podcast today. Um, I, you know, I've been super excited to talk more about yoga over the years. I think it's been a really long time since we've had anyone talking about yoga on the podcast. I think, uh, hit reset with Aaron Taylor might be the last, I was like year one, year one. Yeah. Last yoga centric episode. Are we on year five or year four? Year four. Yeah. Okay. It's been a while. I know you got to then was, the Olympic cycle is throwing it off now that the Olympics like, well, used I, to be easy I've had to, a podcast now for like an eighth of my life. Oh, wow. That's it's probably a little generous. But that's a little generous. I'm not a math guy. You've had a podcast for a ninth of your life. Your young wife has had a podcast for an eighth of her life. Right, right. So we're so can people access this yoga? What's the story with this yoga? Yeah, so that's going to be over on the Valley Om. And actually what they're doing for us is they're giving away a uh, complimentary weeks for the Valley Om's virtual library. Um, it's a huge 
class virtual library with classes of every type and style and length. Um, so that's definitely worth checking out. We have a link for it in the show notes. And if you sign up with that link, they're giving away a whole month free. Um, well, so this definitely is just for listeners. Just for listeners. Well, that's a deal. Yeah. So definitely head to consummateathlete.com and check out the show notes for today's episode. Uh, so Sue, uh, the yogi that we have on speaking all about yoga and how it works with athletes and why athletes really need to move more outside of their very specific sport. Uh, she and I met, gosh, over a decade ago, bike racing. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about a woman who understands why athletes need yoga, she she's the one to talk to. Um, so it's, it's a really fun conversation with her. And you know, yoga is something everybody knows. I, I did my teacher training a couple of years ago now. I teach it a lot. I do yoga every single morning. I have for six years now. Um, and actually, I just started re-adding in an extra like bonus 15 to 20 minutes of yoga and strength or yoga or strength later in the day um, on the, on a daily basis now. And after even just like 10 days of doing it, I, I, I feel a lot stronger um, so it's pretty amazing what just an extra 15 minutes here or there can do. Right. And you're sort of putting that in around your workout. Usually sort of it's like a warm up or a cool down yeah. type scenario. Yeah. And to not get sweaty twice in a row, to be right. honest. Right. And and how are you fitting that in? Like you've sort of dropped your volume maybe a little bit. I have not. Okay. <laughs> but I, I mean, just in the, the way my training ebbs and flows this has been like a lower volume week because i just finished like the highest volume week i'd done right um so yeah i mean naturally i just kind of had that extra time um but i i would have made time for it i think regardless just because you know everyone knows i've been focusing on running for the last couple of years and while that's still obviously my number one priority and number one love i could definitely feel myself getting less strong yeah and i think that happens around this time you know our episode was that last Friday was on sort of, was it last Friday? It was on this idea of like sort of remembering that we often take mid season breaks or, you know, transition weeks between seasons or, you know, after a peak or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and this is hard with our, the current state of 2020 to remember that. And I think that right now I'm pushing people as we're getting into the fall, like this is the time when we start easing some of these other modalities back in, you know, we've been being out cyclists, being out runners, you know, you don't really like to do anything else uh, when the weather's really good. Right. But it's as the, the winter is coming, hashtag we, we, you know, we want to start easing this stuff back in. So I think, you know, how you're maybe running a bit, but then also like incorporating and sneaking in and associating your habits with this uh, yoga or core or whatever. And like we say, we're sort of easing clients back into this, whether it's in their training program with sort of the 10 minute core idea we like, or with this Friday, you know, meet up. I, I've been, we're, we call this like your yoga appointment uh, to try and get people anchored to like a time that they're like committed to go, right? Like they were going to the doctors, right? And sometimes that's a few different habit ideas locked into that, that concept. Yeah, and I think like especially when you're talking about yoga and particularly yoga for athletes where it's a lot of like strength work and stuff, uh, to me that's that's getting you ready to get in the gym and do the heavier squats and heavier deadlifts and stuff. It's sort of armoring you for it. I know I've had the tendency in the past to go from zero to 100 in the gym and right. walk in and I always say I'm, I'm overgeared personally. Where well, I think that's why yoga keeps coming up under this consummate athlete idea is when we're thinking about things that are, I don't know what the word would be, a keystone's the wrong word, I think, but like, you know, things that you do that then let you do other things, you know, yoga's right. maybe a good one where we're like preserving some of this 
range of motion, right? So that if we go and go rock climb or something, at least our arms have been over our head in some downward dog and mountain poses or, or what have you, right? Where that's not so shocking that all of a sudden your arm is bearing your weight, right? And so I think it's it's a good reason to start with yoga is just consider it if, if you're not really into the, you know, the more kooky yoga, if you will, it's more like, you know, this is like essentially calisthenics, right? Like you're, you're doing a bit of push-ups and up and down off the floor. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, let's, let's get into this conversation with Sue Amato and do not forget to head over to consummateathlete.com to also see the 30 minute yoga for athletes session that she put together just for consummate athlete listeners. That's going to be available on the site as a full length video. And we'll have, like I said, the link to the Valley Alms virtual library where you can get a week free and be entered to get a month free of their virtual courses. Cool. Enjoy the episode. All right, jumping in here to tell you about Wattbike, a smart bike that's capable of connecting to the leading training and racing apps at Ham Zwift. Wattbike's been around for a long time now. They've been working with, you know, professional organizations like the UCI Cycling Centers doing their talent ID. So you know that these bikes are very accurate. Yeah, and not only are they accurate, they actually have a real road feel. So if you're really sick, like I am, of riding on trainers that feel like you're, you know, just pedaling away into nothing, uh, this one will actually make it feel like you're riding out on the road. That's right, and they have uh, their own Watt Bike Hub that you can access different climbs and courses and use their very accurate erg mode that again feels very road-like and natural while you're riding indoors. Yeah, it's a great way to train this winter or, I mean, really any time that the weather prohibits you from getting outside. And it's simple. It means you don't have to, uh, you know, clean off your other bike and dust it off and get it onto the trainer and try to figure all that out. That's right. It removes a lot of these uh, points of interaction. So it's, it's, again, sort of helps with the accuracy. It helps you get on the bike and train. Um, and the last piece that I really like about Watt Bike is they have this pedal stroke uh, analysis and, and just different ways they can graphically show and help you sort of coach you through improving your pedal stroke while you're indoors, right? And I love these ways that we use the context. We are stuck indoors, so why not work on on these different aspects of our pedaling and our performance? Yeah, so to find out more, you can head over to wattbike.com slash US. That's W-A-T-T bike.com slash US. Now, back to the show. Sue, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited we get to do this, even though I'm sad that we haven't gotten to do any in real life yoga and bike ride stuff yet. I know. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. I'm looking forward to our conversation and I can't wait till we can host you in the studio. Oh my gosh, I know. It's so that for for the listeners who are going to hear this, uh, you know, your studio is very close to where I grew up, and it's it's an area that's very near and dear to my heart because I used to take Irish dance classes, like I think down the block oh from God. where you're set up now. Um, so wow. I'm like the most excited to get into this yoga studio. Um, so let's let's back up. Yeah. That's my background. What is your athletic background? How did you get to where you are now with the the cycling and the yoga? <laughs> Yeah, so I would say that my sort of athletic debut was as a competitive gymnast. Um, I did that until I was about 14 or so. And then, um, you know, I was 14. So like, social life took over fork in the road, do I want to like, you know, cut back on school hours and time with friends and only train. Um, and give up a social life. And at the time, I just did not want to do that. So that's a pretty heavy um, thing to put on like 14 year olds. Like, 
looking back, well, I'm like, oh, I wish I was more serious about like a, anything at 14, but it's really hard to be that, that psyched on something at that age. Yeah, in theory it is, but, you know, it was, I speak to it like it was a fork in the road, but really it was an amalgamation of, like, all sorts of things that were happening at the time. So um, I loved being a competitive gymnast. I loved being a gymnast general, generally speaking, and being part of a team. I loved practicing. I loved everything about it. I hated competing. Oh. I have almost no, like competitive flicker at all in me so I really wasn't psyched about like having to learn scarier skills and you know injuries were starting to pile up and things were getting a little bit scarier for me for me and I was becoming more fearful generally speaking and so it was sort of like all right this isn't these are not the makings for like an Olympic champion so maybe we should just like have fun (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so then I just started doing, like, school sports, like volleyball, softball, and, you know, whatever, hanging out with friends. Um, And shortly after that, I started to get into running a lot, but it was more so to, like, combat my body changing post-gymnastics, right? So it's starting to, like take on a different form especially at the age of 14 15 and I just kind of didn't see that coming so I picked up running and stuck with it for quite some time but like miserably so I was really like punishing myself with it and so it really didn't lend itself to um any sort of like training goals or you know it was just I was hard on myself with it Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that now as an adult, I've come back to running, but like in a much healthier way, like, like literally speaking healthier way, but also a healthier mindset. Yeah. Um, especially after years of endurance cycling and racing some cyclocross and just understanding sort of how to train a little bit more to be more successful in a sport like running. Um, even, and, and I say sport like running and being successful in it, but even just for my own like stats and measures, not necessarily even speaking um, about events. And um, most recently, I've gotten back into gymnastics. So adult gymnastics, <laughs> the local gym by me has um, some open gym time for um, adult it. gymnasts who want a little spot and some time on the equipment. So it's been really fun. Oh, that's awesome. It always cracks me up how similar the women I end up ha- like inviting onto this podcast are to my story, even though like I didn't do sports as a kid. I think there's a lot of us that do, we ran at some point to kind of, like you said, sort of combat this, like my body is changing. I guess I'm going to start running because that's, that's what you do, right? Like that's what society tells right. us that you do to like get back in shape. Um, and, right. And then we all leave it. Simple yeah. And then so many of us find cycling and cyclocross and then we come back to running. <laughs> yeah, right? That's it's so like funny. Cyclocross is that kind of beautiful hybrid of like sport, training, work hard, but also like crack a beer and have fun. Exactly. Yes. I feel like that was, yeah, cyclocross came into my life at like the perfect time for what I needed and yeah, like I don't really race it anymore, but 
I still think of it as like my favorite sport because I feel like it it kind of imparted this like vibe onto every other like racing type thing that I do now where it's still like, yeah, I'll train really hard and I'll be really serious, but I'm going to have a beer. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Oh, I love it. Um, so yeah. where, where did yoga sort of enter and to the point where you're mm-hmm. now co-owner of a studio? Yeah, so um, I've been practicing yoga. Well, actually, I should say I was introduced to yoga um, in high school. So from all of the running, I was exacerbating um, a back injury that happened through gymnastics, just repetitive back bending over time. I ended up with um, a condition called spondylolisthesis. So it's just like um, extreme hyperlordosis in the low back. And, you know, as a kid, as a gymnast, I was like, oh, well, gymnastics hurts, right? Everybody's like taped up somewhere, icing something or, (laughs) you know, taking Advil for something or other. So like, this is just what life is, right? Of course, yeah. I didn't know that I was setting myself up for like a lifetime condition. So that was rearing its head as I was like pushing myself through all of these running workouts. And so, you know, on a whim, I can't even remember where I heard it, but somebody was like, well, do yoga. It's good for back pain. And my 16 year old self like did it. So I grabbed myself a Rodney Yee VHS and I would do it in my bedroom, like after runs. And I actually really loved it. I started looking forward to doing that more than the running, obviously. And oh, uh, I remember one of the sequences had crow pose in it. And I was like, oh, man, this feels so good, right? So crow pose, the arm balance, you're slightly inverted. My body knew how to do that. And it felt really fun to me. It's like shades of gymnastics. Um, while I'm supposedly healing my back, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was my introduction. Sorry, my dog is and then... really upset about something outside. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, if I if I like sound like I'm muted, it's because I'm just hitting mute. I haven't like, hung up or anything, and he's being a jerk. So keep talking. Okay. <laughs> Yoga. No problem. <laughs> So, yeah, that was my first introduction was um, Rodney Yee on VHS in my bedroom as a 15, 16-year-old, something like that. And um, I really loved it. And over the years, just started dabbling in different styles of yoga, different types of yoga. I popped into studios here and there. Um, and that's the first time I realized, like, oh, something else is happening here. I was at um, Easton Yoga, local to me, and um, I don't remember who was teaching at the time or even what was happening, what the cue was, but she said something and I like maybe changed something about the way my foot was pressing down into the mat and I was like, whoa, it was like something in my body <laughs> totally shifted. The whole feel of the pose changed and I was like, oh, this is some deeper magic here. <laughs> There's something going on. Oh, I love that. But it's, so, it's so funny yeah. what, like, one instructor can do. I remember one of, like, the oh, fitness yeah. yoga classes I took in college. Like, it was just, like, a fitness instructor who was teaching yoga. And I remember one time she mentioned uh, to, like, breathe into, the the discomfort or, like, the area of discomfort or something. <laughs> and, like, that uh-huh. cue... Like, I still think about it every day 15 years later. And she was just probably two years older than me and, like, didn't know what she was doing. But, like, 
that's what got me like super into yoga and like I remember that so vividly yeah, um. yeah it is really interesting and sometimes it's like the thing that you hear a teacher say over and over and over and I'm like I don't really know what to do with that until like you suddenly do mm-hmm. and it's like oh whoa so it's definitely like you hear what you need to hear at the right time yes exactly um so I wanted to actually go back to when you were talking about the crow pose and being a gymnast yeah yeah so this is this is always interesting to me and I mean I guess part of it might be because you weren't super interested in being a ultra competitive gymnast but did you ever struggle to avoid sort of that more like competitive aspect of yoga? Because I know for me, like I had the hardest time leaning into yoga as this like restorative, rejuvenating, like fun thing. And as a very muscular, not super flexible person, I always found it really, like really tough. And I'd cram myself into positions that I had no business being in. Um, and it feels like being mm. a gymnast, you would, you would naturally be able to do a lot of stuff but then might be kind of missing the more like relaxing side of it. So did you ever have any trouble with that? Or was it just like you were so ready to be done with gymnastics that that was easy? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say that I felt competitive in yoga, although I felt proficient in mm-hmm. yoga and I took pride in that for sure. Um, but like I feel like I wasn't I hope that others would agree I was never like the person in class who was like "Ooh, I can do the hardest expression of the posture um so let me do it but like um, the, whenever they're I, like I oh will... do whatever pose feels right for you at the end of class and there's always someone who like does like the one-armed handstand or something and you're just like uh-huh. I hate you <laughs> or maybe like, that's, that's just me that's if you need to like be a good human for the rest of the day a one-armed handstand <laughs> yeah exactly that's that's <laughs> Obviously, that's helping them find this balance and zen and has nothing to do with showing off that they can do a one-armed handstand. Totally, <laughs> totally. Um, so how did that shift yeah. into teaching? So um, I had a lot of fun in yoga. It was just like a blast for me. And, um, you know, while I was popping around, trying out different studios and different methods and styles, um, I started to notice that it started to bother my back again. So I was like, well, what's happening here? Why are we going backwards? Until I fell upon um, a yoga style called Anyasara at um, a nearby studio at the time. And Anyasara is no longer like a method that is practicing under that name, although it was, it produced a ton of really amazing teachers who are still teaching now using a lot of the same principles that they learned through this system, um, but have adapted them in their own ways, which is really cool. But anyway, what Anyasara did was um, combine like really detailed anatomical and alignment principles and methods and like infuse the practice with this knowledge that helped to like deepen the therapeutic quality of the postures as well as like I don't even know how these two things go together like therapeutic and then joyful expression but like at the same time you're healing your physical body 
And the expression of your posture is like so heartfelt and happy and joyful. And I found so I found it just resonated with me really, really well and was everything I needed at the time. And so that was the teacher training that I took was in um, a heavily influenced Anyasara style of Hatha yoga. And um, I did my 200 hour in that format and um, the bulk of a 300 hour and additional like continuing education as um, senior teachers would come into our area a lot at the time. And um, I just couldn't get enough. It's wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. I've, I, I've heard of that style, but I've never really like dug into it. It's interesting though. I was just saying this to Peter kind of this morning, I realized I was teaching this past week and I had to do a bit more of like a restorative class for some younger girls who had like a very like long week of summer camp activities and they needed something gentle. And I'm more of like Mm. a vinyasa flow, like power yoga type person when, when I'm teaching normally. Mm -hmm. So I had to suddenly like make this like shift five minutes before class. And I found myself just like suddenly having them, you know, sit just kind of quietly and talk about something that they were grateful for, like before we started the practice and then sort of like at the end. And I was just like, at the end, I was like, I feel so good about this. And like, you could, like, you could (laughs) see like, they felt good about it. And I was like, Oh, right. Good reminder. Yoga is about more than just like pretzeling my body, which is the thing that I kind of forget sometimes. Yeah, we do, because it's, like, fun to move your body in those different shapes and feel different sensations through them. So, yeah, I'm certainly, I fall into that trap, too. It's just, like, moving around and, like, you get warmed up and it's like, okay, now what can we add or how farther, how much farther can we push this? And Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that, too. And, you know, when people come to me and they're like, you know, can we make this class easier? I'm like, ooh, I'm not your girl. Like, if you (laughs) want me to make it harder... I can do that for you. Over the years, I've gotten a lot better about it. But it also like you're coming from an athletic background. So that's sort of how you orient in your body. And so for me, it's like these these postures and like being upside down and sideways and holding myself in these like strange positions, like that's how my body knows itself. And so I really didn't have to go through that beginner step of like, oh my gosh, my head's upside down. Like, this is what that feels like. Like, for me, I was like, put me upside down. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. What's so scary about a handstand? (laughs) Well, and it's funny because I think, like, this is maybe one of, like, the the traps that we could say endurance athletes run into with yoga is this idea that, like, any posture is going to be, like, easy or hard. Like, it's, quote, unquote, easy or hard. But really, like, you can Mm -hmm. kind of take any posture and make it, like, as easy or as hard as you want to or you can just straight up come down and just chill in child's pose for an extra beat or two if it's like if if you're overstimulated and I think as endurance athletes we get pretty stressed about like needing it to be a certain like level where we're all on this like everyone in the class is doing the easy thing so it's okay that we're doing the easy thing um we have trouble yeah backing off like knowing that we can back off and it's okay if we back off um, so actually, yeah, for sure. Because I feel like you probably deal with a fair number of endurance athletes. Maybe this is a good time to ask the question of like, how can an endurance athlete get more out of yoga? By and like my my answer is like by getting less out of yoga. I feel like, um, 
Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Well, first I'd say by doing it. Yeah. Most <laughs> endurance athletes that I know, like, will not. They don't want to do it. And I get it. Like, you want to spend your time, like, doing the thing that you love the most. And so, you know, running, 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 cycling, 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 like, whatever the case may be. But at some point, something's going to give. Yeah. And so to take the time and, you know, see the value in the yoga and maybe even there's a fear component. I'm not sure, but there could be like a fear component of like de-patterning any training that might be going on. Um, but, you know, these all in my opinion, in my humble opinion in valuing yoga um, are just kind of excuses, right? Because yes. um, illness and getting quiet, that can be really scary. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you're someone who, you know, typically either trains with a group or trains with like really loud music or podcasts. Um, you know, a lot of the time it's really yeah. hard to just sit in our own head for and like actually feel into our, our bodies for, for that like hour or 45 minutes or whatever. Um, oh, actually, yeah. I said the hour and 45. I'm sorry, I just keep going off ta- on tangents here. But have you noticed a trend toward classes, yoga classes going longer in your area? Because up here, suddenly every class is like an hour and a half. Really? It's so, so that's weird. new for your area? Yeah. That's sort of our old standard is 90 minutes. Um, I've actually noticed a trend going in the opposite direction. Like more and more of our studios oh. and our classes are like... 60 minutes. Okay. Yeah, up here. Yeah, especially. I'm surprised. I would have thought it'd actually be, like, opposite because I'm in, like, a smaller town, like, kind of out of the city, and I would expect more, like, your, like, urban area to be, like, faster-paced. Like, get in, get out, get done. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I think people are just so time-starved, and so um, we originally had our class schedule mainly consisting of like 60 minutes and 75 minute classes. But now um, the adjustments that we've had to make through COVID, now everything's pretty much 60 minutes. Yeah. Standard. Yeah. I mean, virtual, virtual yoga, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't even imagine going over 60 minutes virtual. That would be yeah. Oh, yeah. terrifying, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I kind of like jumped over the question of why athletes should be doing yoga and you, you touched on it, but are there any other, any other thoughts in terms of like, if someone comes to you and is just like, I don't do yoga, I am not a yoga person. How do you convince them to try a class? Um, oh, that's a hard question because my first inclination is like, I wouldn't, like, I'm not going to get into a debate with somebody who is like, I don't do yoga. I don't believe in it. I don't value it. But, like, take me through a class. I'm like, well, why are you here? Like, you're not ready for it. If, if they're already coming at me with, like, this defensive mindset, like, we're not going to get anywhere because that yeah. is just, like, somebody who's, like, totally shut down. Like, their brain is not going to absorb. In fact, it's going to, like the opposite they're going to create arguments against whatever it is that i'm pitching to them you know oh i love that and that really speaks to the like brain body connection that i feel like yoga is so good for and why it's so good for athletes (laughs) yeah no i can't agree more it's why it's like so key for athletes so 
I feel like athletes need to use yoga as a recovery tool, not just for body, but like definitely for body, but for their brains, for their minds, for their nervous system. Like it's so important. We live in an overstimulating world, um, just generally speaking. And then if you're an athlete, compile that like by a hundred, especially if we're talking about like higher levels of competitive athletes, you know, they're constantly in survival mode, self-preservation and going, going, going. And so they really need to take the time to down regulate and stimulate their parasympathetic nervous system, allow, give themselves some time to relax and heal, stop that constant flood of cortisol and adrenaline. Um, And once that happens, that like that's key is getting to that down-regulated state. And that doesn't, you don't need to do like lotus pose upside down on your head to achieve that. Really, you're going to get there by like noticing your breath, just taking some time to like push pause on your day and on your like daily stressors and just take a couple rounds of like deep breath, relax your body, lay down, whatever the case may be. And once we can get into that down-regulated state, then it's way less likely that those defensive qualities are going to pop up once we start getting into the postures and even maybe slipping in some, um, some components of like exploring optional mindsets, right? Like this idea of maybe being a whole person, not just an athlete. Mm -hmm. So like really embodying like and being just a fully gorgeous and valuable human being that's not contingent on athletic performance and achievement. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Um, So as you were as you were saying that, I like had a billion different things that kind of ran through my head. Um, and the first of all, as you're speaking, you speak with such like a beautiful like yoga teaching voice that even though I'm still like sitting here at my desk and like drinking coffee, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel more relaxed already. So I, oh my gosh. I really Thank need you. to come take one of your classes. Um, <laughs> and so actually, the other thing I was thinking about is when an athlete wants to start a yoga practice. So if an athlete is like, okay, I'm going to do it, totally willing to try it haven't done it yet what what do you think as far as first steps go because I'm sort of of a couple minds because I'm always a huge proponent mm-hmm. of that like five to ten minutes a day like in the morning do something like yeah. do, do your yoga but then I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it and I'm like I feel like a lot of athletes would actually benefit from I mean probably most of all like a private session with an instructor to sort of just get yeah. into you know here's what these poses should actually feel like and actually look like as sort of your intro to it or at least like a really good smaller class um Mm -hmm. for a few weeks just to get used to it because I think when you're like working off of just like a video and there's tons of great videos and virtual options but like I think there's something to be said for that like in-person first few sessions if you've never done it before because I always think about the forward fold like sit you know just seated forward fold um I've been doing it wrong since you know I was eight years old throwing my spine all out of whack, like, yeah. you know, shoving it forward, you know, bending my knees. Blowing at your toes. Yeah, exactly. Like really trying to like look dramatic and like perfectly folded, but really just like hunched over. 
And I like try yeah. to demonstrate it now. And I'm like, right, most athletes just go into the same shoulder hunch that I do. Um, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't really ever have changed that if it wasn't for going to a class where they explain that. So yeah, what are your feelings on athlete getting started in yoga? <laughs> oh, I have so many. Um, I couldn't agree more with you about doing it in person. And if you can um, do a private session, that is absolutely 1000% the way to go. Because especially if we're talking about like mainly the physical component of it, it has so much to do with what the sport is. So what are the muscle imbalances that are being created by the repetitive movements and strain that you're putting on your body? Um, That matters so much. Um, in terms of how I would at least like structure the class and what poses I would choose to um, take them through and how I would cue the postures as well, Mm -hmm. right? So um, for instance, um, I'm thinking about a pitcher, right? So if we're talking about a pitcher and um, the one arm that front of the shoulder is going to be key to stretch, right? The pecs and all of the muscles in the front of the shoulder, the bicep, even the forearm, right? That's going to be really important. It's going to be, in my opinion, more important to strengthen the back lower portion of the shoulder girdle. So to really emphasize how to get that pitcher to engage like serratus anterior, lower traps, like all of those muscles that pull rhomboids pull the bottom corner of the shoulder blade like into the back of the body and in towards the spine that are going to help bring some balance back to that whole structure of the shoulder now that doesn't mean that that person's going to like pitch slower or worse or anything it's actually going to help them enhance the range of motion that they have and the power that they're capable of um, applying to their pitches and so like that whole thing like that mindset of opening the front of the shoulder and um, strengthening the back of the shoulder like makes no sense for like oh I don't know like a well actually it's kind of good for everybody because our <laughs> posture is like as a standard knockery but anyway, let's just say, like, take that out of the equation, like a cyclist or something who, you know, we'd want to focus more on, like, what's happening with the quadriceps, the low back, the right. glutes, the hamstrings. Like, very rarely yeah. are any of, like, the yoga positions, like, bad for someone, but some might be more helpful for others, like, yeah, tailoring it more towards yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, cyclists. Um, like do not need to do any more forward folding or flexing of the spine or the Mm. hips. Like, sure, you can do them like it's not going to hurt them as long as we're not trying to like put our legs behind our head or something like that. Like that's not necessary. But like (laughs) stretching going in the opposite direction is going to be a lot more beneficial for them to, again, just bring more um, balance to them posturally. Yeah. That they're happier in life, right? Like, they'll be better in sport, for sure. Um, taking strain out of those tissues that are being um, um, sort of lengthened and weakened by being um, stretched out constantly while the opposite side is contracting, right? It just turns them, inhibits them even more. Yeah, yeah. But we don't really, yeah, we definitely don't want to be, like, the hunched-over cyclist. And I feel like cyclists are maybe, like, the ones who need yoga 
I'm going to make the argument the most out of most sports because the position we are on the bike is pretty much the same we are hunched over the computer. So yes. if and you're driving. a nine to five, yeah. So if you're like a nine to five office worker with like an hour commute, who's also a cyclist, yep. you spend oh. your whole life just in that like hunched over position. And yeah. It's... Well, and then you're too tired to do yoga. So you sit on the couch in the same position. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, not good. Yes. So, okay, so once someone kind of gets a pretty good sense of what, you know, they've done maybe a couple of privates or at least like some smaller group stuff, what do you think as far mm -hmm. as like, you know, your, your daily or weekly practice should go as an athlete? Like what is in like the perfect world? So, you know, time kind of not being a huge yeah. impediment um, because I know, sure. I know a lot of cyclists and a lot of athletes who will go do their one yoga class a week and that's, that's it. Yeah. And that usually, like, let's be right. honest, that's like every other week that they actually get there. Or like the once a month go to hot yoga, which is like my personal favorite slash pet peeve that people I know do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. that's a total, that is like such a clear, and nothing against it. Look, hot yeah. yoga is great for lots of people. But for an athlete, they're going because it's likely like a hot power flow or something like this. 100%. And, and like they're getting that hot, sweaty sense and in their mind that's triggering all the same um buttons as like workout we're working out again mm -hmm. and so again like we're missing that whole like mental and neurological component of like calming the nervous system Ooh, which, I wonder is, if is, which is someone, so important yes i wonder if someone could do like a hot restorative flow i know it's kind of counterintuitive but i feel like you Ooh. might you might win some athletes over by doing that that's making me think of like just a nap in a sauna pretty much yeah that's basically what it is you're like here's a bolster um <laughs> just gonna prop you up like this and call it good yeah <laughs> i was um, so sorry, I'm sorry i sort of didn't answer your question there um, no, but i, I, I interrupted um, i agree <laughs> I agree with you completely about like, um, a, like a, a short, specific, easy to do practice, like more often and daily is ideal for sure. Um, that's the way to go. This practice, you know, was made to be done repetitively and daily. It wasn't meant to be done like as an event, like a two hour, no holds barred, practice once a mm -hmm. month you know it was meant to be a practice so that you can connect with yourself ground yourself clear your mind and then like be a better human when you walk about your day and so and it doesn't take like uh, you know anything wild and crazy to do that it takes just a couple moments for you to get in your body and so whatever that means for you like so for me I like to do some lunges where I just sort of wiggle around and get into my body, some down dog action. Typically that turns into like more than I planned and more than I anticipated, sometimes more than um, the time I've allotted for it, <laughs> which is great, right? That's, you'd, I'd like it to go that way versus not doing anything at all. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, just w whatever, whatever it is that you need in your body. And sometimes you don't know that until you have practiced a little bit. Like the practice has a way of revealing asymmetry 
in your body. And as you get to know yourself more and more, you'll be better at picking out what needs to go in that like daily tune up or like morning warm up or whatever the case may be. Yes, absolutely. For athletes, for athletes, I would actually love to see them do actually like, oh my gosh, they're not going to like this answer, but hey, like man. twice <laughs> a day. Oh, whoa. <laughs> so, all right, let me pitch it to you. Let me hit pitch me, it to me. you. <laughs> Just like a five minute like warm up. Again, like I said, like, um, so if I'm prepping for like a run or something, I'm going to probably first get on my back and do some like one leg stretch kind of situations, like half happy babies. I'm going to do a little like bridge repetition to get my glutes to fire. That's a concern for me. Um, and then I'm just going to like move anything else that feels like it's a little bit sticky. So maybe around the hips or like around my waist, something like this. And then, you know, do a little cat cow down dog and go about my run. So then later in the day, not necessarily immediately after the workout or the training session, but like later in the day, while I'm winding down for bed, um, I'd love to see some like recovery yoga in there. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. So maybe just like a little bit of a longer hold and like some lizard lunges or something so that you get that open hip quality and some quad stretching quality. Um, and then some legs up the wall. Ooh. Legs up the wall is athlete's best friend, in my opinion, especially endurance athlete. Mm-hmm. Yes, I could not agree more. I'm definitely like a little like, ah, crap. Now I have to, now I have to do this at night too, but I, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I, I've successfully done yoga every single morning for six years and counting now. So I feel like I, I, can add, I can add nighttime in. It'll be fine. Um. <laughs> yeah. If you build it into like your nighttime routine, so you don't have to like make it a whole big thing. You don't have to like go into a different room, put on different clothes or like set up any chanting or anything like this, totally. like hanging out, watching the TV and like pigeon. Yes. Or exactly. like turning the TV a little bit and throwing your legs up the wall. Like, yeah. You know? No, it's so funny. I said this exact same thing to Laura Wilson when I had her on a couple months ago talking about meditation, where I feel like a lot of people skip meditation and yoga because they feel very precious about it. Like it has to be done on a mat with their essential oils and yeah, like the the chimes (laughs) going in the background or whatever. And I'm like, man, I do my morning yoga watching Riverdale which is probably not yeah. a thing I should have admitted on the podcast here, but I'm like, no, it's not the most Zen. No, it does not get like me out of my head or whatever. You know, it doesn't do the mental things that I know it could be doing, but frankly, that's, what's going to get me to do it because I really want to know what yeah. happens in the next episode. So yeah, no, no, totally. I'm with you. And like, we're in, an, it, it's interesting trying to find this balance between like, um, you know, the world that we live in right now and what we deem as yoga and meditation and these other spiritual practices. And don't get me wrong. I love chanting. I love crystals and, mm-hmm. you know, the chimes and the divination cards and all of these things. Like, I love them. I love them so much. But it's just not realistic. It's not realistic for, like, the schedules that we need to carry about these days. And um, it's not realistic for certain people. It's just not what they're going to get 
into. It's not how you're going to get them to like get some of the other really beneficial qualities from these practices. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you learn one of my teachers um, in massage therapy school taught me, he was teaching me also like um, Eastern practices such as like Qigong and Tai Chi and all of these things. And he would like, constantly say to me, learn the form to become formless. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? So like learning new body work techniques, I'm like, yeah, but what about this and that? And like, how do I do it precisely? He's like, you learn the form. So you learn the technique so that you like can become formless. Like you utilize a skill to achieve an effect and get a result, but it's not, you're not beholden to doing it exactly that way. Right. So same Mm -hmm. thing with like yoga and meditation, like you learn maybe in a very specific way with specific tools and environments, what this thing has to offer to you and how your life can benefit from it. And then you can duplicate that whenever you need to, because it's not about those external things. It's about how you're able to focus and bring it into your body. And that's our mission with the Valium, with the studio. Like our mission statement is helping people find the yoga and the practices that support them to function better in their life and their lifestyle, whatever that means. I love that so much. Um, And speaking of the Valley Ohm, I have to ask, like, are you still doing any virtual stuff? Will you continue to do any? Like what's, what's the situation right now? Oh my gosh. We're on all of the things right now. So we've been, (laughs) yeah, I actually do too. I didn't anticipate loving it, but I, it turns out it's pretty great. So um, we've been able to have classes indoors again. We have really strict protocol in order and everyone's been like really great about being respectful and, um, and um, honoring all of the rules as they come into the studio. So we have in studio limited capacity um, as well as live stream. And most of our in studio classes are live stream at the same time. So that's been a fun juggling act. Oh my Um, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have um, a couple outdoor classes still. And we have pre-recorded, like a pre-recorded library up on our website as well. So we have literally all the things. Oh, I love it. You know what we should do? And I'm just going to say this during the episode. We can just cut it if you're like, that's a terrible idea. We should do a... um like a virtual session, I could, I could like jump, jump in and like guest teach a consummate athlete session when we put this episode up, when it goes live. Ooh, I love that idea. That'd be super fun. Um, I mean, still want to do one in person there, but. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But as a first step. Yeah. Yeah. Since God knows when I'm going to get back to the U.S. these days. Um, that's a that's a podcast yeah. for another time. Uh, so you, you mentioned a few uh, as we kind of wind this up. You mentioned a few kind of favorite postures as you were talking through sort of what you would do in daytime and nighttime situations. But if you had to pick just like mm-hmm. a few poses that you think most endurance athletes could benefit from, like what they should really like kind of focus in on, what are some of your go to? These are the great poses for endurance athletes. Hmm. That's a hard question because, again, I, I would say it depends on, like, what they have going on. And I, I, you know, my style is to get it as specific as possible so that we're not wasting any time. Because um, I know that these endurance athletes, athletes generally, like, don't 
want to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, legs up the wall for sure. Um, quad stretching, absolutely. So whatever whatever form that might take. So it could even be like lying down on your belly and just like holding one foot with one hand and it, who knows how much flexibility somebody has. So that could be enough or maybe we could take it a little bit further. Um by lifting the torso and the chest up a little bit. Um, just opening up that hip flexor is going to be important. And um, like I said, the lizard lunge is pretty great. It's pretty accessible for everybody. So are you familiar with that lunge? Yeah, yeah, I love that one. I'll put some, I'll put like a photo link to it uh, in the show notes so people can see what it looks like. Yeah. And so if that seems to be going well, you can add a quad stretch to a lizard lunge. Um, Although I think that can be a little bit intense, so maybe not as accessible as just the lunge itself. And then I would also say like standing balance postures, um, I think are really, really valuable, especially as we get older. They're really important balance. We get more rigid and we get more fearful of things. And so balance, balance, continue to work on perception your ability to like move through space and um you know all of that like it doesn't even have to be a complicated one so just even standing on one foot and doing like literally nothing with the other leg um all of that sort of figuring that your standing leg is doing those little weebles and those wobbles it's your body trying to find homeostasis and like it that can repattern um your firing pattern in the leg so, like, that can be really helpful in terms of, like, um, uh, healing injuries and recovery time. And, um, yeah, I just I just think it's really valuable. They're, they can be really frustrating and turn people into, like, like, super serious, like, drill a hole through the wall with your drishti yogis. But um, <laughs> they, don't, they, they don't have to be. <laughs> Yes, I agree. And I actually really love even just like a a tree or something like that, just for that like ankle and like Achilles like strength and like almost kind of checking in with them and like seeing where where you're at and like kind of getting getting information on (laughs) how your body's feeling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great way to look at it as in like getting information because it doesn't have to be like a fixed like because you nailed tree pose today doesn't mean you're going to nail it tomorrow. And what does that mean in life anyway? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a perfect metaphor for like, okay, fell out today. And first of all, no big deal. Try again. Like nothing in the actual world is different because you fell out of tree pose. Like relax. Mm-hmm. Like stop being so serious and try again. Try, try, try again. Like there's no shame in that. Yes, absolutely. Oh, amazing. I could talk yoga all day and desperately want to make it down so we can talk about yoga all day in real life one of these days. Uh, But for now, uh, tell everyone where they can find you and the Valley Ohm uh, online and hopefully in person for anyone who is in the New Jersey and Pennsylvania area. Yeah, sure. So... um thevalleyohm.com is our website and you can find on there um, our interactive class schedule so um, everything's labeled accordingly if you want to do live stream or if you're local you want to do in studio or outdoor and then you'll also find a page on there that's um, the virtual ohm so those are our 
pre-recorded classes and we're constantly adding to those as well. Some of them are like really short, some are a little bit longer, some are really specific about um, what you're going to find in the practice. Others are going to be like more broadly ranging. And um, we're on social media, on Facebook as the Valley Ohm Yoga and Body Work and on Instagram as at the Valley Ohm. And then I am on Instagram as Sue Tomato and Facebook as Susan Amato. Oh, I love it. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat about all things yoga with me. It's, it's great talking to someone who's actually like an endurance athlete who's also into yoga because I feel like we, you know, I've talked to a ton of great yoga people, but it takes a very yeah. certain type of person to understand sort of where the endurance sport and yoga kind of where, where that yeah. combination, where that sweet spot is. So I'm so glad we got to have you on to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Cause yeah, it's all about like finding that balance of like, you know, being inspired and staying interested and like challenging yourself, but also like letting yourself off the hook and letting it be the restorative, relaxing, calming practice that it's meant to be. Yes. Oh, could not agree more. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sue. It was so good chatting with you. This was so fun. You're welcome, Molly. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. Uh, and I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. The Slow Ride Podcast, three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast, the titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast, the Zwift racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast, the arrow helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast, when's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast, the experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast, the gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday.